It is Wednesday, December 14th. We're recording this uh, on a beautifully freezing day. <laughs> it's cold. Uh, shit. We're brought to you by Tech GC. Tech GC. Tech GC. Tech GC. Shout out to Tech GC. And the stylings. The stylings of Chris Sands, the producer to the stars. Yeah, the <laughs> producer to the privacy stars. <laughs> um, yeah. Shout out to Tech GC on and, and people should listen. And we very rarely sort of like plug, but like Tech GC really has been an innovator and something I'm really passionate about, which is um, this idea of like hybrid and virtual organ or organized events. Um, a lot of um, organizations could learn from Tech GC and how they reacted to the pandemic and have sort of s- continued to provide these types of experiences um, because they're super inclusive. Yeah. Man. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but but I think um, it's important. And so shout out to Tech GC for leading on that front. Uh, let's talk about you, man. A lot of changes on your side of the house since the last time we did one of these, man. How, are you uh, still in like vacation leisure mode? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I am. Uh, I've, I've, I'm an advi- I've left Alice. I'm an advisor to Alice uh, and I'm starting something new uh, in the new year. So we'll talk about that when that's closer to awesome. happening. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's nice. I'm taking some time off. Um going to go on a vacation with my wife which is excellent i'm looking forward to that and uh yeah and so um i'm excited about the new opportunity i'm excited to to dig back into some some areas that i've been in in the past and some new things that are innovative be fun i'm pumped for you man um i hope you guys are going somewhere cool on this vacation nice and private (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm not going to talk about it because I'll, I'll get targeted. Oh, yeah, I don't want the paparazzi to come find you guys. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> you know, I hope you're going somewhere really cool and, and have fun. I'm checking out the last week of December too, man. And just, I'm going, you know, I live in Atlanta. I'm going up to Appalachia and just going to hide in the mountains for a few days. Um, but I need Alone? it. Man. Solo then, mission. Yeah, Solo just, mission. Just going away, man. Just going away, man. And, uh, my big plan for January is, uh, uh, I really want to, focus on the concept and we're going to talk with Todd about this a little bit later, but like um, I really want to focus in and zero in on like the debate, the public debate and the regulatory debate around personalization. I think it's wrong. I think we're having the wrong conversation and um, uh, and I want to see what I can do to affect that to be a more productive, meaningful conversation than is something good or bad. Well, think about think about the excitement around crypto and blockchain. Yeah. And, you know, the idea that um, that your wallet, right, is yours and is is protected and your place on the blockchain is is yours. It's interesting that it doesn't get the same level of intensity that yeah. ad tech personalization yeah. gets yeah. or personalization and other you know, on a on a dating website or whatever, yeah. like been around forever yeah i also think the idea that people don't like tailored experiences whether it be ads or content or a dinner at a restaurant is ridiculous and like as a premise it's not a good premise and i don't know why it's so pervasive um and so anyway i'll be thinking about that quite a bit while i'm in the mountains but also i think like I, you, you'll see me talk about it more and more on linkedin because i just think it's and on the podcast because i think for me like if i'm gonna have a professional theme in 2023 
it's going to be let's have the let's have constructive conversations about the value and meaning in people's lives of personalization in all spaces. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm that's interesting to it. think about. I have to. Th- I'm going to think about what my theme will be in 2023. Yeah, man, that's, that's going to be defend personalization as a meaningful part of human culture and society. This is sort of like where I'm thinking yeah. about this. Um, yeah. But anyway, somebody who's been thinking about this for 650 years now is Todd. No. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a, a a wise vet. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's like a grizzled old veteran, you know, like he's like he's been around. (laughs) He's been around a long time. Our conversation with him was awesome, sort of like a a walk down memory lane a little bit, but also with a turn towards the future. And we talked a lot about ghosts like it was all over the place in a good way. Yeah, he's an ad tech, you know, I would say legend. Yeah, I think so. I think he's he's up there with the the I think um, he's trained a bunch of people that we respect, you know, and then also like. Uh, he and I have in common starting out in privacy in financial services, you know, and there's a there's a lead in lead into, you know, the ad tech side of things. So he's he's been at it for a while and he's a connector of people, 100%. which is a really important. You and him have that uh, trait thing. where you're always bringing people together. I really like that. Yeah, try to and and emulating him in a lot of ways. Yeah, oh, man, I'm excited for the combo. All right, I think people are going to like this one. Yeah, let's share it, man. All right, here we are. Here we are. Here. What's up? We we did it. All right. We're back. All right. We've got our good friend Todd Ruback uh with us. We've known him many years. It's good to get uh get you as a guest on the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks, oh, it's man. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thanks for your patience. We tried to do this before, but Andy's laptop exploded. Um <laughs> did you get a new laptop, man? I'm going to. We were just talking about that pre recording. I I uh I'm going to get a new laptop. So that would be good. <laughs> we have a whole episode called Andy Gets a New Laptop and just go through the step. Top, top, highest ratings ever will be that episode for sure. Riveting stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. So, Todd, let's, let's, I have a question for you. Let's start off. Uh, when did you get CIPP certification? When was, I don't want to like make you, you know, say, ask a question that is sort of like dating you, but I'm curious. Date me. I mean, look, I, I, <laughs> I got my CIPP when I had hair. So a long time ago, um, I would say, you know, the years blend together, but 2008, 2009, right around there, Man. I, I got Serious. involved with IAPP around 2008. So I bet it was 2009. So a long time ago. Yeah, we had Peter Kosmala on who developed the program, the certification program. So you were probably one of the one of the early folks that did that program. Yeah, I I remember yeah, that's kind of somewhat early days at IAPP and you know my first summit, you know, the DC Privacy Conference was again around there and I think maybe there were 7 800 people in attendance. So is a whole different world. Did you Very did different. you take the test um, uh, on a laptop or did you take or on a computer or on like bubble sheets? <laughs> That's a really good question, Pedro. Yeah, I, I you know what? I want I think it was a computer, but it might have been okay. those bubble sheets. It was a long time. <laughs> the ago. old bubble sheet IAPP yeah. certification, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
That's taking me back. Taking me back to high school. Bubble sheets, man. Scantrons. Remember all that stuff? Man? High tech. Yeah. Well, so Todd, how did you like? I'm curious about a couple things. One in ad tech because ad tech's been part of your game for a long time, but also like, how did you within the world of ad tech? How did you position the fact that you know we need a chief privacy officer, or I am that? Uh, because that's a relatively like nascent idea 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So look, my, my route into privacy kind of writ large is, you know, very much zigzaggy sort of a, a path. But, um, you know, I, I had been at a, a midsize law firm in New Jersey. I, I got into privacy law actually way back in 2005 in that time frame. Um, you know, I had taken a break from law for a number of years. Uh, I was working at a um, uh, large uh, IT outsourcing company um, from like you know Y two K time period to two thousand three two thousand four, and I had to develop a, um, a a GLBA privacy program for one of our clients in order to you know have business with. Um, and, uh, so that's when I actually first got into this, this space. And, um, so kind of fast forward a few years later, so I started doing privacy, really focused on financial services. Then an opportunity came up to, uh, join, you know, early days, not quite founder, but first wave of employees with a, a privacy tech startup, a solution provider at the time is called Evidon. It was later rebranded as Ghostry. And it played in the, in the ad tech space, you know, getting to your, your question, right? And uh, we were able to identify that third-party industry, the whole ecosystem of online trackers, if you will. So they needed, uh, you know, a grown-up to come in who was a lawyer, who knew privacy to help um, create the internal privacy office that they needed to to grow properly, and then so that was how I you know, actually got into the space um, originally, and that's was my initial exposure to ad tech as well. Were you also like building legal from the ground up? So like, yep, contracts, you know, yep. all those things at once. Yeah, exactly, and making sure we practice what we preached. Um, that we could, you know, point to our own privacy, internal privacy program as, you know, best of breed when we're out there, you know, talking to our clients and, and selling our, our products. Were you at Ghostery during the rebrand? Is that what I heard? Were you, or did... say, say that again. I, I missed that page. You at, did you say you you were at Ghostery when they rebranded oh, yeah. as Ghostery? Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I was employee thirty four, and I was That's with them amazing. from two thousand twelve through two exits. The first exit was when uh, we actually spun off our consumer free consumer ghostery browser extension, um, and then we um, then I was there through the uh, exit through the acquisition of the company itself. That's super cool. So, and I'll tell you this, like there from what, the beginning to the end. You wanna, yeah. What a masterful rebrand. Ghostery is one of the coolest brands in all of ad tech to me. Um, and I loved that, it. That little I, ghost, 
they used to hand like the little ghost stress toy, stress squeezy mabobber. Yeah, I still yeah. have it laying around somewhere. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things ever. Yeah. That the trash trinkets at the privacy events, you can't believe how popular that was. People would come up those we would literally bring like a thousand per conference and they would be gone in the first hour. They, they were yeah, the best. I had I it. had a uh I got them at my first NAI summit in twenty fourteen and I remember I had it on my desk at DataZoo and it was with me through the most stressful moments of yeah, that man. job. Uh, that ghost. <laughs> that little ghost is my favorite thing you guys ever produced for obvious reasons. I don't love the yeah. tool, but like um, quality but... product right there. <laughs> quality product. <laughs> what a quality that's, product. And you that's gave all, it away if, for free. If that's all we're remembered for, you know what? That's okay. Ghost the tech cool. was okay, Todd, but the swag. <laughs> the the swag, swag was really that, epic. Yeah. Epic. That's where we excelled. <laughs> The, t- the tech still survives, yeah. of course, and people still use it. I still see it. So, like, if there's if if nothing, there's a lasting legacy for the tool. Like, 100%. not every company can say that, frankly. <laughs> it was a great brand. Look, you know, we took immense pride in what we were doing, and we really there's a, a collegial feeling there, a real spirit of you know we're doing something cool. Um. And and we did something really cool. You know, we built a privacy company. We built a privacy software company. And it was profitable. It was successful. And we had a really great exit. So, you know, is an amazing experience that I'll always be grateful for just to be part of that team. What was it like in the early going interfacing with the Network Advertising Initiative, NAI, Digital Advertising Alliance, IAB, all the ad tech communities um, trying to fit in? You know, um, look, they, they are all of those associations and trade associations, networks, they are important players in this industry, in the digital advertising space. And it was really important just to make sure we were aligned with them and you know, we we're developing our tools and products kind of in concert with what they were seeing in the ecosystem is they have such an important voice is difficult, right? Because you end up having a lot of stakeholders, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but um, you know, if, if we weren't tightly aligned with them, then I don't think we would have been nearly as successful as we were. Um, what do you guys, maybe, yeah, what do you guys think of the efficacy of those orgs now? Post GDPR, post CCPA, post US state private. This is, I'm curious about this from both of you. Like, what's the efficacy of these orgs like in the next five to seven years? Pedro, I'm dying to hear what you no, 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 have to say, but I, I, I'd rather react to your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So, look, the, the reason I love, you know, the ad tech slash MarTech industry, right, is is because it is always innovating and responding. It, it's never standing still. And um, that goes, that same, you know, notion, I think, is true with the, the organizations, right, IEB, DAA, NAI, all the alphabet. Um, and, you know, I see, I really see them responding to this changing market. And this market is always under 
big scrutiny, and it's only getting more intense, you know, the regulatory and consumer scrutiny. And I see things like, you know, the, the IAB um, responding with transparency uh, uh, consent framework, TCF. And, you know, it, it's run into some, you know, speed bumps and some roadblocks, but it's responding to those as well. And, you know, it has responded to market demand and need um, for the CCPA as well as the CPRA with its uh, um, global privacy platform, right? A a set of technical signals uh, to help you recognize consumer choice as well as the modified um, service provider agreements. So they are playing a dynamic active role and, and I think is a really important part of the overall solution that companies need to incorporate into their the new regulatory requirements in this changing landscape. I think Todd's right, by the way. Like, it, it, I think their role changes. I think they have to evolve with the times, which is, uh, you know, when the NAI IAB first came about, if you think about what the purpose was, it was to fend off regulation, right? It was, hey, we're going to self-reg and we don't need governments to come in and tell us how to run all of this. We can we can do it ourselves. I think that was part of the plan. Um, don't think they succeeded there uh, for obvious reasons, right? And so now I think it's more like helping the industry comply with rules and in- helping interpret the rules and, and helping um, organizations like build united approaches to compliance versus a bunch of companies doing their own thing and then you know maybe getting terrible enforcement outcomes or just bad readings of the rules right and so i think this is the new role and um i can see the or the the, these organizations sort of like starting to fall into that role and it's exactly the right way to evolve i think and by the way i don't think they failed in fending off regulation i think it's it's one of those scenarios where it was going to come no matter what um and and so now we're here in 2015, ahead of the GDPR, I was at an NAI board meeting and I raised the specter of like, why doesn't the NAI provide ad tech specific DPO service post GDPR? And basically I got shut down pretty quickly. That's, you know, not angrily, but like, that's not what we do. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not who we are. And I got to tell you, like, I don't want to pat pat myself in the back or whatever like that's not a bad idea and it's still not a bad idea and it I, speaks to what you're, yeah. you're getting at pedro i think i'll i'll pat you on the back virtual pat i think it's a that's a really good idea and it goes to what you were saying pedro right the the need to constantly reevaluate and reinvent yourself um and and that that's a challenge for you know a startup you know we we in, we ran into that all the time at, at Ghostry, right? Do we do this? Do we do that? And, you know, turning and you know, pivoting on a dime. But it's really hard for a trade association or another non, you know, nonprofit or an organization that represents a body of industry players. That's not their, their charter. So it's very difficult it, to be nimble, in that respect, I think is a great idea. Let's let's do it. Especially especially because you have 
you need these ad tech is such that you have such big companies participating in that ecosystem that without without them moving and knowing what they're going to do there's difficulty in putting something out there as a as an idea because you really need the buy-in of some of those bigger players or you need to know what they're doing and they're trying to be nimble and it's harder to be nimble because they have so many um constituencies and considerations and and things that are outside of what a nimble startup can do we can do a lot more but um you need to know what is google going to do what is meta going to do what's amazon going to do right and good luck you know divining that that. right because you know it's that's hard to decipher I think you can get it, and Pedro, I'd be curious to hear from you about this. I think you can get it behind closed doors, for sure. Like you can get an understanding of the dire- directionally where companies want to take things. But I think you're right, Todd. Like, how are you going to get that in a any sort of public discourse? I do think that, like App- Apple, which is the most secretive of, of us all, right, uh, of the big techs, is increasingly transparent. I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the, but whether because they're being forced to or because they see it as a as a good move to fend off some of the like anti-competitive critiques, they're talking more about their plans, which I'm seeing and I, and I welcome. I think companies like mine and where I work, Meta and Amazon and Google have already made that transition. Like I think Meta is broadcasting what it wants to do and asking the world for feedback on the way there. And we've been doing that for years now. I think Google does exactly the same thing. It probably they've done it in, in a lot of ways that are a little bit better than we have. And we learn a little bit from them and they from us, I'm sure. And Amazon is starting to unlock its ad business insofar as being more transparent and helping people understand exactly how big and 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 robust it is. So like five years ago, I think all the big platformy tech players that I just named off were all operating in silos and quietly. Um, and behind the scenes, we're maybe sharing tidbits. Now, I think there's just different levels of transparency, but all le- are leaning and trending that way. The challenge, though, I think, is, is there a space where we can all collaborate? <laughs> that like, And when I say we all, I mean the big ones, the ones I just read off. I definitely don't see a lot of collaboration across these companies. Um, there is between some. Um, but like, if we all work together, particularly around, think of, Think about things like pets and like industry adoption. Imagine if those, if these big five, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Google, is that four? Whatever. Um, if, we, if we all got together and decided this is going to be our collective strategy on pets and we're going to adopt tools that interoperate, right? Like imagine how cool that would be for human beings, for the people, our users, our customers, or whatever. I, I think that's a little bit of a panacea, utopia type of uh, aspiration, but I think it'd be cool. That's an interesting idea, right? And then in theory, you know, you could standardize the architecture of the privacy enhancing technologies to have privacy and security just baked right in. Uh, So your privacy choices are already there and can easily be, uh, you know, executed or turned on or turned off. And that would, that, interoperability concept would really help the private market, right? Because in talking to my clients every day, they're like, yeah, we need, 
you know, end-to-end tools, but I don't like, you know, the modules from this provider, you know, the module from that provider is great, but they don't talk to each other. So in a very real sense, that whole privacy tech industry is still in its infancy. And so there's a lot of opportunity, but it needs to mature quickly. Agreed. There's a lot of risk too. I think if you're if you think about it from a a big company perspective, if I collaborate, uh, I, am I creating a singular risk surface area for a regulator to attack all of us or have issues with all of us versus everybody's doing something, taking a different position, and we need regulatory enforcement to understand, you know, how we're gonna gonna play things. So I think there's. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying that that's as law, as a lawyer, I immediately go to like, oh, well, where's the where's the liability flowing to? Yeah, but like, let's talk about good faith, Andy. Like to your point, if I think I'm doing the best thing and others are not, then I'll keep doing what I think is the best thing and wait for others to fail. Uh, there's like some not so great faith in that type of thinking. Whereas it's like, hey, I'm doing a really good thing here and it'd be great if we all did it, <laughs> right? Um, and that way, Guess who wins? The actual fucking users, man. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, are we worried about compliance only? Or are we worried about delivering the users like the best experience as possible? And I think like to Todd's point, great point, like on the pets issue specifically, like the adoption and interoperability of the strongest pet controls benefits everyone. And if regulators come out against it, then they're being belligerent. Does that make sense? Like what outcome in which we apply a privacy enhancing technology to user data is the consumer losing from a privacy perspective? Um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know the end, you know, maybe there's some hypothetical out there, but it's not coming to mind. Hey, Pedro, let me go one step further. Why, why couldn't the regulators, why shouldn't the regulators also be part of that process, that collaborative pets Totally agree. Develop, you know, collaboration process. I never understood the reluctance. Like, you know, if if their expectations are, uh, you know, you will do X, and you know, there's there's a gap between what technology can provide and X, then why can't regulators actually be part of the team and say, okay? This looks good and part, actually part of the overall design process and what these standards and technologies should look like and function, how they should function. I, I never understood the reluctance. Like, Couldn't agree with you it. more. You know, have this public and you know what's private is, sector project going. Couldn't agree with you more. And what's interesting to me about that uh, astute sort of insight of yours is that like it does happen. But almost always when it's forced, either through a consent decree or through an enforcement uh, action or through a settlement negotiation, like every one of us has worked at companies that are either uh, uh, facing an enforcement action or a potential one. That's just the nature of the business, right? Like something you're doing is always going to be getting investigated because that, in my opinion, is actually a sign of a healthy regulatory environment, right? And so once an investigation is declared or opened against a corporation, all channels of communication tend to open up and people negotiate settlements and negotiate all kinds of stuff. And there's all sorts of information sharing to like try to mitigate the, 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 the cost of the enforcement or whatever, right? Doing that up front 
when the stakes are lower, meaning there is no like gun pointed at anybody, we're just, you know, uh, in a consultative relationship, I think is a is a is a is something we should aspire to do more often to Todd's good point. And when I say we, I mean the whole industry. Has the collaborate collaborative reluctance been on the side of regular regulators or companies or both? I think it's both. Both, right? Yeah, both. right. Companies don't want to share their trade secrets or you know, their roadmap to the product development. But look, you know, not to live in the past, but one of the things we did at Ghostry is we actually, um, on a regular basis, reached out to regulators both in the EU and the U.S. and and would offer up um, you know just executive briefings to show them what solutions we're developing and how we're developing and what problems we're trying to solve, just so they know what the industry was you know uh, developing by way of technology in, in the privacy space. Again, to you know, Pedro, to your point, you know, there was never a case where a regulator regulator said, "I like this, I don't like this." You know, yes, please, you know, include this functionality. They never said that, but at least we would expose them and socialize our future roadmap, our product development roadmap. And I thought it was a really good, it was an ongoing, you know, effort and exercise. But I thought it was worthwhile. So we made a big investment in developing that regular cadence of communication just to, if nothing else, to build credibility, to educate the regulators about technical limitations, but you know, also evolutions. And it, I, I thought it was a worthwhile project. But in a sense, you know, I'm thinking about it, didn't, you know, the, the, the global privacy control, you know, the technical standard, you know, under the CPRA, wasn't that in the, a, a sort of an example of of a public-private uh, sector collaboration, right? Because there were stakeholders, you know, from the private industry as well as you know, representing the California AG that helped to design the global privacy control. Yeah, I think that's right, and it's an example, I think, of a non-adversarial. Um, consultative process, right? Um, I think we just, it's unavoidable to have adversarial scenarios. I get it. Um, they're going to come, but like to your point, Todd, like being proactive about engagement and leaning in from both sides, I think we're just, if we're worried about delivering the best products, services, safety, and privacy to consumers, to me, the best way to do that is in a non confrontational, collaborative, uh, consultative process between companies themselves and between companies, organizations and companies, um, NGOs and regulators. Like we just, I know it seems a little kumbaya but I think we, we've got to aim there. Um, and, 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 and we got to aim there more intentionally. I want to switch gears just a little bit, Todd, to the round tables. Um, we are talking about collaboration, right? And so it's pretty relevant. Like you ran these roundtables in New York City and it's relevant to what we talked about before. Like what's happening behind closed doors versus what's happening sort of publicly. Sure. You ran these roundtables in New York City with chief privacy officers getting together 
uh, uh, back, you know, going back a number of years. What did you, number one, sort of like, what did you hope to gain from it? And what did you gain from it? And I know you're still doing them. So like, what, what do you, you know, sort of think about it long term? And what do you get out of it? And what's the driver? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Andy. So just by way of, you know, context, you know, to, so this makes sense. So when I first joined Ghostery, again, 2012, um, I saw that there, there was no forum for me to, re, you know, uh, leverage other privacy officers' experience and and know-how and knowledge. So I decided to create that forum. Um, and um, I formed this CPO roundtable that was invite only, is based on, um, you know, modified Chatham House rules. So you know, no outside attribution, no sales, no law firms. And the whole point of this was to create an environment where we could shut the door and talk about issues of importance, privacy issues of importance to us without, in a very candid, meaningful way. Um, and the you know, collateral uh, effect or result was that we also built community um, and uh, built friendships, but also, you know, professional community uh, so that we could leverage each other's skills and, and experience whenever, you know, in uh, unique situations came up. And originally it was limited to 20 CPOs and, the, and I get asked all the time, why? And that was because that's how many people could fit around our conference room table. Uh, but we would shut the door and, and our CEO, he would be walking by, you can see we had, you know, glass doors and he would be walking by the whole time, you know, just to see if he can get in. But no, we shut the door and he wasn't allowed in. And anyway, fast forward. So, we, you know, I've been hosting this thing. It's been going for over a decade now. And um, the with COVID, we had a switch to virtual uh, meetings. We've been meeting on a quarterly basis without interruption. Um but, you know, until COVID hit, we were meeting in person every quarter. Uh, and now we're back to hybrid sort of uh, uh, meetings. Um, and, but the, the nice thing with COVID is, well, nice thing with COVID. Nothing is nice <laughs> with COVID, but the, the nice, uh, the unexpected uh, uh, result of going virtual was that we could expand the participation. Uh, mm -hmm. So now we've gone from 20 to about, 60 CPOs. Um, but again, you know, the challenge is, you know, when it gets too big, group think kicks in and no one likes to talk. So, you know, that's, so we're going to go back to in-person meetings in relative short future. But again, this has just been a, a tremendous forum to really make friendships and be able to, to leverage each other's experience. And I will say one other thing in closing is that word got out Right. And there's been a waiting list to, you know, for, for CPOs to join, but also word got out in the regulatory community. And there were numerous instances where the regulators would actually phone up and say, hey, I heard about this. Um, I would love to come and speak to 
the members um, because I know it's an informal back channel, if you will. So they could have a also, you know, speak candidly with the CPO community to so they can have honest conversations without fear of press picking it up. Was it cross cross industry verticals? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it yeah. ranges from you know the, the largest companies to you know CPOs at, at you know small you know startups. But yeah, one thing that um, your point about uh, COVID uh, sort of by chance or collaterally increasing access is really important. If I hope we don't unlearn some of the teachings that we've uh, gotten during the pandemic, which is offering remote and hybrid attendance uh, to these types of events is inclusive. And it's it, like it, it means more voices come to the table that either for economic reasons or geographic reasons or wait for it, disability can't make these in-person meetings. And so I encourage anyone listening to this, planning any events, including the IAPP, to continue to like provide for hybrid and um, uh, uh, remote experiences, because it really just brings new voices to the table that don't have the resources sometimes or the capability to make it to these in-person conferences that um, uh, tend to be where most of the news is made. So like, let's increase access and keep going hybrid. I think it's the right thing. Tech GC's done a good job of that too. One hundred percent. Not to plug our own folks, but one hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. but but they have. Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah. facts are facts. They have and um and and they were the first uh organization to do uh DoorDash gift card, you know, to your house so that you can continue to have the sort of break like bread a- aspect of these events, which are underrated in terms of like trust building as you said todd like it's not about the food it's about like we're sharing a meal we're more relaxed we're talking about things we're talking about our real our real issues that we're facing yeah because at at the end of the day you got to know the people and you got to trust the people that you're doing business with right and you only get those relationships through you know time spent with each other you know it's, it's that tactile sort of a a requirement. I'm going to tell, I want to tell a quick story. When we did a version of this round table with just ad tech people, uh, pre GDPR leading up to it, it actually ended up, one of the members ended up being the, the, the person that sort of incubated TCF and then pushed it over to the IAB. So we were having these conversations. We were actually out in San Francisco, uh, having a conversation once and in the afternoon, I could tell like people needed something. So in San Francisco, there's all these apps and services that that do. And so I found a cookie service that delivered all these like freshly baked cookies. Oh, to I us. love that. We had these cookies come in. People were so excited. We we had cookies and some of the best ideas came after we like stopped, relaxed, you know, and, and had a few moments. And so it's it's not a small thing, really. No, well, you know, these little gestures, right? They these small things actually are are quite big. They can be big things. I mean, I think cookies were apropos as well. Yeah, cookies is a nice little entendre there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know we're running out of time, but I, I want to ask a yeah. 
like the most important question of of the podcast here. Uh, ghosts have been a big theme um, of our conversation. So, Todd, uh, do you believe in ghosts? Oh, I believe in spirits. I believe in ghosts. You bet. All right. Do you think there's a? Do you think there? Are, <laughs> there's a spirit of privacy, past and present and future. Is that? Is that is that how we think wow. about this? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it could be. So yeah. So so what what do you think the the spirit of privacy future will be will tell us? I think that I think the spirit of privacy future um uh, is very expensive. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Who who is this who is the Scrooge of privacy? <laughs> Oh, Max Schrems. <laughs> Max Schrems. I, you know what? I disagree. I, I disagree. I think he's he plays an important role as well. He's the Robin right? Hood. You think he's the Robin Hood of privacy? I don't know. Is he a hero? You know, whether... is he, is Max Schrems a hero or not, or a ghost? I guess since we're on ghost things, you know, know, it's I, hard to say. It's hard to say. I. I I think he's he plays an important role, right? He he yeah, shines a light on things that may be uncomfortable, and he's forcing organizations to have very uncomfortable conversations. Is that a bad thing? Is it Max? I, is it Max, or is it the GDPR? You know, so, it, this is a chicken egg to me. Like, but you know, uh, Max is an activist. I mean, he's an actor, and I agree mm -hmm, with you. Yeah, right. He does play an important role in all of this, and I, I, I. I I'm speaking tongue in cheek. I've met Max personally. I, I think he's a good guy. Yeah. His intentions are in the right place. Um, yeah. um, and we do need that. Like, I don't want to use the word antagonism, but we need that like friction uh, uh, to, to make sure uh, everyone's operating uh, above board. Um, but I don't know. And I, 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 look, and, and if we didn't have guys like you know, Max Schrems and his, his group, his organization and Johnny Ryan and Ireland and his group, then, <clears throat> I, I think the industry would you know, would be hard pressed to, to innovate the way I see it innovating. You know, they're forcing change. You know, change comes not only from regulatory enforcement, right, and litigation, but also from activists, you know, raising issues and yeah. being vocal about it and yeah, shining think, a light. Where I think, so, it, where I, think it, 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 I, I follow Max and Johnny pretty closely, and like what's interesting about both of them is. I, I agree with you. Like the, the the role they play is important. How you play that role really matters, though. And one of the things that that's you it. have to be that's, really that's, careful when you fall into that role is to make sure that you're being precise in what you say because mm -hmm. people look to you as an authority figure. And so some of the times when I get a little nervous when I when I see and read and hear from them is when they speak in sort of like sweeping generalities because uh, you know uh, th those tend to take on like a moralistic value and the media and people's minds. And then we can't have the discussion we actually want to have, right? Which is about how we make products and services better for people. Now we start talking about like, you know, whether personalization in and of itself is evil, which is ridiculous because personalization has been around since the first, you know, whatever you guys know what I mean. I'm I think that's, yeah, I, I think agree. that's a, I think that's a really good point, Pedro. Like I think um, the, if you're an, an advocate and you're talking about, evisceration of ad tech versus how can we make products and services better for people or how can we improve 
data subject privacy. That's great. But I don't think that's always what you what is being espoused. I think sometimes it's it's just there's no uh, there's no solution that's going to be served up that makes you know, some of those folks happy because they want it eviscerated, which is their right. But I also think you know, it, it, you're right. It clouds our ability to make incremental improvement. I think. Yeah, I agree. And like, I'll, I'll give you an analogy that I think emphasizes the point I'm making. Like, I'm a manager. I manage a ton of people. And like, if if someone inside the company came to me and said, hey, uh, uh, Billy on your team does a shitty job. I can't action that information, right? So when you say personalization is bad, I, there's no action that can follow that. Now, it's not helpful. My reaction yeah, it doesn't goes, move the ball forward. Yeah, it doesn't do anything but like get you ad clicks or whatever, or or you know whatever. So when someone says to me, "Hey, so and so, what is it? Billy's doing a bad job," I say, "Well, can you give me an example of a time that Billy did something that fell short?" And then that person can say, "Well, you know, he's missed five meetings in a row or been late." Uh, five meetings in a row. Okay, good. I can give Billy that feedback. Stop being late to meetings, right? So if you say personalization has challenges, here's one of them, X, right? Like, and then let's talk about X and work through X and solve for X. Then we are having a constructive dialogue. If we're just throwing grenades, it doesn't, what does that solve? What is it? What does it help? What does it fix? That's my, that's my gripe (laughs) with some of the like Twitter philosophers, right? Like, you know, whatever. Billy punched a colleague. You know. Okay. Yeah, we got to go. All right, Billy. Right, Billy. Go. Okay, Billy. <laughs> Billy's got to go. Billy's a ghost. All right. No, all right. Uh, last thing before. Yeah. Enough about Billy, I guess. Uh, Todd, like any quick advice for people starting out in privacy? That you know, you're you've been in the game a while. Like new new folks trying to come in because it's it's a hot space. What do you, what do you tell them? Yeah. This is look. The reason I got into this space because. It's one of the few areas that that I thought I saw was so collegial, and um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's while it's grown massively over the last what seventeen years or so since I've been in it, um, I still see that that collegiality, and and you know, that's just something again is so attractive because when you have that, then you can have situations of collaboration, growth, create new tools, new products and services that you just wouldn't otherwise have. So I think it's a great space to be in. And look, I know the tech sector has gone through, you know, a bit of contraction and the ad tech industry is under a lot of pressure. But again, it's always reinventing itself and innovating. So I'm really bullish on privacy writ large, and also ad tech specifically, it uh, there will always be opportunity. Agreed. Well, we have to figure out how to help people action it in the early days of their career. And I think that's some of that collegiality. We can lean on that in, in terms of helping people. We can do more, I think. We can always do more. Yep. Yep. And again, it's... Thanks. Yeah. No, thank you. This has been awesome. 